Hey, friends and gamers, it's Frenchie, and welcome to episode 21 of the Frenchie Plays Games podcast. Hey, by the way, did you know that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes? Small, large, thin crust, deep dish, stuffed crust. Hey, Frenzy Gamers, welcome to episode 21 of the Frenchy Plays Games podcast. Uh, if you didn't catch that pizza reference to open up, go ahead and listen to it again. Okay. Um, it is not an April Fool's joke, even though I'm recording this uh, on the uh, evening of April 2nd. Yesterday was April 1st and April Fool's. And I'm going to just start off with, a, with, with something. So, I think every time somebody starts to get duped with something, when you wake up on April Fool's and you particularly it was on a Saturday, so you're a little more relaxed, you're not worried about work typically, you know, if you're working a, a you know more weekday driven job. And so, you know, you're waking up and you're hearing chatter about things and you look at some things and you're like, well, that's interesting. And then the next thing you know, it was an April Fool's joke and you weren't aware of it. So as the day went on, it was kind of neat. Dice Tower pulled off a really good one where Folded Space that does these uh, foam-style board game inserts, creating a board game table. And a few people were going, wait a minute. It sounded a little serious to start, but there was just something off. But it was well-produced. And uh, kudos to the Dice Tower. I actually saw something, and I think I may have seen this in previous April Fools, too. I sent it to a few people, but... Uh, you know, I play some Magic Commander with my son online. We do it virtually with real cards, and then we just video it and uh, pipe it through Spell Table, which is uh, an app, you know, a, a web-based application to do Magic Commander. So anyway, um, so I shared it about, uh, it was a Commander-specific website, and it talks about building the perfect deck. And it starts off with very Magic-specific terms. Next thing you know, you're talking about wood and different things and realize that it slowly morphed into actually building a physical deck for your house. And so I read that towards the end of yesterday, cracked up, had to send it out. So I thought it was kind of funny, but that is enough for the April Fool's jokes, uh, but never enough for the dad jokes, which is why I had that pizza reference to start off with. So uh, speaking of that, yeah, I just finished, uh, interestingly enough, just to give you some updates for Frenchie, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about the content let me get a sip of iced tea here. I realized that, uh, you know, the last couple of, of filming, so I, again, I do the podcast and I record it as well as I do the video and then I'll put the podcast out in the video on YouTube. And I realized that I was hitting the table and it was jarring the camera. So I've got my iced tea here, wherever you can see it. I got my iced tea here and I'm not putting it there. So hopefully I don't hit the table or the camera. No guarantees because... I speak with my hands quite a bit as I pause to take a sip. So uh, hopefully I've learned a lesson and maybe some of the video quality will be a little bit more professional, but that's only from the production standpoint, not from the actual person standpoint. So I uh, I play Commander every few weeks with, with my son. And, you know, there's something about Magic the Gathering that I like to do. I like to play it. I don't really go to the pre-releases or the Friday Night Magic. Or anything but I just like the casual format and we play with our decks and uh, today was the first day that I actually beat him two games like he did not win a game and uh, it was a little bit of, of I've raised my level of play a bit 
And again, with anything where there's randomness of drawing cards and shuffling and anything in any game, whether it's a card game or a board game, sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. So he was quite amazed, but we had fun. But usually a game is going to take, you know, half hour, 40 minutes maybe. And, you know, first game took an hour and a half. Second game took a little over an hour. So we had just wrapped up, grabbed a quick bite, uh, did a, a video segment I'll tell you a little bit about. And now here to get this uh, recorded and then start to produce this over the next day and get this released into the wild, so to speak. So let me give you an update as to content that's come out recently. Now, it's been about uh, three weeks since I did the podcast last, and I wanted to wait till it was the end of March. So I had some games to play a little bit last week, and it was two weeks after when I did that, I just came back. The last episode I did, I had just barely, like within 24 hours, came back from Dice Tower West. Absolutely exhausted. Plugged through it. Don't know how I did it. Sheer adrenaline or willpower or whatever. Probably caffeine, lots of coffee. So I figured I'd give it a little bit of a rest just to uh, still kind of keep in every other uh, week or bi bi-monthly cadence. But wanted to have a little bit of time to fold that in make sure I, I got my podcast notes and everything squared away. But uh, so, but I have put out a couple of other videos uh, since then, and then just filmed one for Dice Tower Favorite Game Friday. That's up. That's in the drive for Roy Candidate to queue up for this coming Friday. I want to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to go to the channel and check it out. Did do my best of the month for Don't Be Bored. So those of you who don't know, Don't Be Bored is a small but growing YouTube channel. We have a nice active Discord uh, channel as well. Ollie's the one who runs that. Ollie's from the UK. And just has a lot of various different content creators that have come in and supported the channel. And he does a best of the month every month where contributors can come in, talk about their best games played. I'm not going to tell you what I did. You're just going to have to wait for that episode to come out. But subscribe and support him. Support the other content creators that uh, contribute to that as well, as well as Dice Tower on Favorite Game Friday and other things they do that's collaborative. I did decide to start putting out some top five lists. And I did the top five lists because I figured they're short, they're quick, I can keep them focused. Top 10 lists, everyone does. Not to say I'm not gonna do them, I haven't done them in the past. But what I wanna do is just come out with some quick top five. And I ended up doing two because I filmed them pretty much in the same day. A little bit of creative juice is going. So I published those and they're out in YouTube World last week. First one is top five baseball games. So those of you, uh, that uh, are here in the States, North America, know that this past week was the opening week after spring training of uh, Major League Baseball here in the States and, and Toronto, North America has a team as well. And then this was about two weeks after the epic World Baseball Classic, which Japan won. So baseball is really getting back. It's the season. I figured I'd do a top five. I did a top five a few years ago, decided to shuffle up because some things have changed. And so put that out there and was uh, really happy and then jinxed my San Diego Padres uh, that uh, they lost the first two games of the season, actually preseason favorite to win it all. They won last night. And as I'm doing this podcast right now, they're probably playing, but I'm not too worried about that. It's early in the season. I'm worried about the NCAA finals tomorrow. Anyway, too much sports talk. So then I did a, another top five and it was a top five list of games that are almost great. And these were five games that I selected that in playing them, they were really, really good, and I enjoyed playing them and will always enjoy playing them, but they fell just short of me putting them into a great category for different reasons. And so check those two videos out to uh, kind of get a gist of what that was. I know the baseball one is a little more niche, 
but listen to both of them and you'll actually see a little bit of change of apparel on Frenchie in the baseball one. But again, you'll have to check that out to find out what that is. Okay, so I'm going to kind of kick into gear here and talk about some upcoming games that I have backed. I am thinking and considering backing and then some recent ones that are either in Kickstarter right now that I'm probably not going to do and then one that is uh, has been announced excuse me shouldn't have drank that iced tea so quickly um, ha it's uh, has been announced and uh, we're hearing more in the development and everything the play testing so let's go over the games that I've actually backed so first of all is let me go here didn't have these queued up online as much as I thought I did so Couple that I have backed on Kickstarter that are in the queue. Uh, this first one here is Let's Go to Japan. And this is a, a game in which you're traveling through Japan, Tokyo, Kyoto. And it's just a very colorful game here. It's a very affordable game on Kickstarter. There's only a couple of days left in it as well, seven days as of this recording. Over 7,000 backers. Uh, almost a half a million dollars pledged. So a very popular game. I can't remember who the publisher is. Sometimes the publishers don't always come through um, here. A lot of times I'm not paying attention to publishers. I'm kind of paying attention more to, uh, when, I, when I back a game on Kickstarter, I look at theme, I look at affordability. Some games have a lot of bloat. I did not back Oathsworn. I've heard great things about it. Uh, I might talk about campaign games a little bit later on. But uh, I'm not going to derail the podcast with that subject. I might look at replayability. I might look at does this does this game sing to me? Does the game is the game something that a lot of people are backing? Not that I'm trying to be Mr. Popularity and go well everyone else is backing I am, but I do have a threshold. If a game isn't uh, covering maybe a thousand people, then I'm probably even if it's already funded, I'm probably not going to back it. For a variety of different reasons. Now there may be an exception of that because I will mention that particular game a little bit later on. But this has uh, got a passport expansion uh, and just really looks like a really cool uh, game with trains and research round trackers. And uh, there's obviously with Kickstarter there's a lot of different uh, backing levels you can have with different things. So it looks like a fun game. It's by AEG. Okay, that uh, that 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 reminds me. That's one of the reasons I backed that too is that AEG has been putting out for me some really nice games. Are they overly produced? No. But they have a uniqueness in the production value and the artwork and everything. Guild of Merchant Explorers, Santa Monica. Uh, there's some games that have just really done a very solid job and fit in. This game is very affordable. You can pledge it for $39. Uh, that was what I selected too. And there are some games that I'll just go ahead and do the base. And there's some games that I'll do a, a more advanced pledge to. So that is uh, Let's Go to Japan. So that is one of the games that I have currently backed on Kickstarter. The other one is from the team that brought you Calico, Point Salad, and Cascadia. And so there's two games here. One is Deep Dive and the other one is Point City. Now, I did not do any research on Deep Dive. I just said, hey, I'm going to back the basic pledge, get Deep Dive. That to me isn't the draw. Point City to me is the draw and the reason I backed it is because I love point salad I have taught that to countless gamers over the years uh, and you know people that have played heavy games uh, my former game group back east that game had just been out for maybe about six months we've played it a few times 
People really, really liked it. It's a great filler game, great early, you know, early in the game, uh, night game, late at the game, night game. Taught it to non-gamers. It's always been a resounding success. Point City does a uh, similar thing, but in a city backdrop theme. And so uh, it just adds a lot more layers of resource management to everything. So I'm excited for this game, without a doubt, because I enjoy Point Salad, and I really think I have trust, again, that, again, it's AEG, is going to put out a game that's going to resonate and sell well. Deep Dive, to me, is just a bonus, and I'll see uh, see how that is. I'm not even worried about that, but uh, I'll check that out later. I'm not even going to dive in. So those are a couple that I have currently on uh, Kickstarter that I have backed. So now some ones that I'm actually looking at. Um, oh, one other one that I've backed, too, that I want to mention, too, is an Age Contrived. So, And I forgot about this game, and it's a Euro game. Uh, set in a fantasy campaign. It's uh, primarily engine building is the main uh, engine here. It just looks like a really cool game, almost backed $500,000, so over 4,800 different uh, backers here. And resource programming, chaining combos, and basically you're going to Pantheon, you're trying to unite the mortal realm, develop your civilization, and lead that Pantheon into a new age. The components look like there's varying degrees of components here. Again, I backed at a very basic level. I could have gone a little bit more, probably thought about it very seriously, but decided to go ahead and just go with a very basic pledge on that with a core edition. And that may or may not, uh, you know, be something that uh, people agree with. You know, if you're going to back a game, back it all in. But, you know, there are some games, again, that they have to prove it to me to go ahead and back it to a much higher pledge level. But this one seemed good enough that you get the miniatures and the things with that. Obviously, some of the other components, too, will just be at the base core pledge. So that is an age contrived. That one looks really, really fun. So let's look at a few others here. Well, why did you time me out? That is interesting. Let's try it again. Due to technical difficulties, everybody. It's funny how the uh, Kickstarter decided to re-sign me in. Okay, come on. I'm usually on Kickstarter on my device. Okay, so some saved projects that are coming up that I'm looking at. So the first one is Galactic Renaissance. Now this game here, it's by the same designer as Inish. I believe that's Christian Martinez. I love, love Inish. You know, there's this trilogy of games that came out from Madigo Games, Inish, uh, Cyclades, and um, Kemet that came out. I like Inish a lot. It's my favorite of the three. And so this is a game that's designed by the same designer. And it's going through really a Renaissance style in space. And you're sending emissaries to planets, trying to discover new civilizations, cement relationships on known planets, uh, trying to convince planets to enjoy and expand your influence over the galaxy in a political battle from the designer of Inish. So this one looks really, really good. I'm thinking of backing this. Uh, I usually go ahead and tag games on Kickstarter and give it a little bit of time to think whether I want to back it or not. Nominal pledge, uh, you know, 1,300 backers, almost $120,000. So it's not breaking any records, but 
you know, with, with the fact that it's the designer of Inish, it's something that I am definitely considering. Now, another one that's coming up that I'm looking at here is the Last Kingdom board game. Now, this is a board game adaptation of a very popular IP, and I'm trying to find where that went to. And it's a hit Netflix show. Again, I don't watch much on uh, on TV. I'm usually watching board game videos, listening to podcasts. I might nibble on some things. So I'm not into a lot of shows and people just lose their mind. I just It's too passive for me. That's why I play board games. I'm going to have a leisure activity. I'm going to be engaged on a mental level uh, in a way that a movie or a series doesn't do it for me. And that's just my preference. That doesn't mean that, you know, I think if you binge watch, you're, doing, you're not doing anything. I mean, I, I do take during the holidays, boom, I'll take one or two days. And I'll just do nothing but watch movies, watch shows and everything. And I'll do that. And then I'm done for the year. So Last Kingdom board game is based on a popular Netflix show, Last Kingdom. And looks really, really cool. There's been a lot of games lately that have been coming out that are based on an IP video game, a board game. You have Elder Scrolls. You have uh, uh, Frostpunk. You've got, uh, what was it, Thorgal. Uh, you have Last Kingdom. Some of these games have been really, really good. Others have been misses. So I'm uncertain at this point whether I want to back this. This does look like a good game. This does look like something that I might enjoy quite a bit. It doesn't look like it's full of bloat. Uh, it, again, is under $60,000 pledge. It's met its goal. And then 1,100 backers. So this may or may not find its way into Frenchie's cart for a Kickstarter. But that remains to be seen. So we'll check that out in a little bit. Okay, two others that are coming up, excuse me, three others that are coming up. Uh, the first one is still on Kickstarter, and it's Battletech. Now, Battletech is a game, a tactical game you can use on a hex map or not, but it's a miniatures game, skirmish game, where you have these mechanized armors, and so they come in, and they're great because unlike other miniatures games, and I'm just starting to get into miniatures games a little bit, uh, unlike other miniature game, you have to assemble the, the miniatures and then go through the painting. Here they already come pre-assembled, so you just go ahead and do the painting. But rolling dice, uh, having different uh, armies that you build up and with all their abilities, and then just being able to go ahead and outmaneuver and, and blast away your opponent. So Battletech Mercenaries is coming out. It's a very, very, very popular. It's almost $5 million right now with, let me check how many, it was like 15,000 people backing it. Uh, almost 18,000 people right now. So it's just a very popular, probably one of the more uh, backed projects on Kickstarter for games, tabletop games this year so far. So it's a new box set, with a lot of different armies, a lot of different factions, a lot of different uh, tiers that you can do. I'm definitely going in on this. I just want to determine what I, what I want to get out of it. I'm just starting to get into Battletech a little bit. So... We'll see. It's definitely one that's popular, and I'm excited. There's a nice community here in Colorado that plays uh, and plays in a couple of different ways. Some of them do the Alpha Strike, which I guess is a reduced version. Some of them do the full-scale version, and I'm just starting to look at getting into Alpha Strike because some friends of mine said that's that's what they enjoy playing, and I like being around with them. So it seems to be the same style or approach to gaming. So I'm looking forward to that one. And so for Kickstarter, that's pretty much what Frenchie has in the queue. Now, two other games that are coming up. Uh, one is already in backing, and these are both on GameFound. 
and the other one's going to get released later on in the end of the uh, end of April. So the first one here is called Tur Nanag Between Worlds, and it is a uh, Irish mythological game uh, where you're in the realm of the underworld and you are Uh, you're basically using uh, storytelling cards, and so trying to bring them back, you're going to be putting your workers on not a card, but on a couple of different cards and trying to claim them based on uh, how other players go ahead and try to claim their cards as well. It doesn't look like much. It's not a strong crowdsource. It has uh, 569 backers right now. It's hit his goal, a very modest goal. It's 21,000. Goal was 18,000. So it's going to back. It's going to fund. Uh, there's just something about this game, even though it's a smaller one. And I said I usually wait for about a thousand backers on Kickstarter GameFound to really go ahead and pledge. But there's always exceptions to the rule, aren't there? Uh, you know, Marvel Zombies was was huge. I didn't back it because it just didn't do anything for me. This game is not huge. I'm backing because there's something about it that really tends to speak to me. So I'm really hoping that uh, this uh, follows through with closing this out in about a couple of weeks. So that is uh, the first game I have here. And the second game is actually, there it is coming up. It's another game. So there's also a lot of tabletop MOBA games that have been coming out. And uh, Guards of Atlantis came out last year. And I heard the two guys from So Very Wrong About Games talk about it, how they were really intrigued with it. And so it's piqued my curiosity. And I did see it over at the Dice Tower West in the Hot Games Room. And I don't really see many people playing it. Uh, but it was set up and everything. I've been intrigued with it because I do have a high regard for... Uh, if they are... Those two guys are... When you get past some of the humor and everything and the intellectualism and sometimes the overt sarcasm, they really break down a game really well. And so when they say a game is really good, that that to me is a very strong foundation to say check it out. The more I look at this game, the more I'm excited. This launches at the end of April. So I'm gonna go ahead and I've already following it. So I'm waiting for the notification for it to launch in about three weeks and excited to go ahead and uh, shake some money at it and get it uh, ordered and have that come ship whenever the fulfillment rate hits. But it's going to be, to me, a fun game and one that uh, I've really got some high expectations for. So that is uh, really the second time that this game has come out, so it's popular, had a print run, they know they can go ahead and do it again, so it's back and uh, exciting. And so if you uh, missed it the first time, you're going to get a second chance, just go on GameFound, type up Guards of Atlantis, and check it out, and let me know if uh, that's uh, what your thoughts are on the game in the comments. Okay, so let me pause for a second here, I'm going to tell you a little bit about some games received. As I take a sip of tea. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm actually going to just oversaw three things. So there's three other games that are uh, coming out. One of them actually is on Kickstarter that is will be coming out. It's a an addition of a current game or a game that just recently got fulfilled on Kickstarter. And then two other games that are coming through. So the first game that's coming out is Marrakesh Essentials Edition. Now, and that's a Steffenfeld City Collection game. And it was interesting. My friend Shane had said, hey, he had heard about it and had verified with me that uh, the game's, game's going to be out. Now, I bought Marrakesh with the City Collection. It came in a much larger box than the other games, such as New York City and Hamburg and Amsterdam. 
and understood why they had it in such a big box. Well, this game is going to come in a smaller box, so it fits the same size boxes that the other three in the in the first run of the city collection did. So it's really paring it down to the basic things that that game needs to fit on there. And I appreciate they're doing that for a couple of different reasons. One, how it fits on the shelf. Two, maybe something a little more affordable. I did hear a few people in comments during the pledging and also when the game was available say, yeah, you know what, it's just an expensive game. But I'm, I'm glad that Queen Games has done a little bit of a correction there, not a correction, but said, all right, we've heard you, and let's go ahead and put the game out there. I already have it. I mean, the board's not going to change. There's some things that just aren't going to change, so we'll just repackage it, have it something a little more compact, fits neatly out of self, shelf, lower price point, and we'll be all good. So uh, really happy for that. Now, the other two games are coming out. One of them is an expansion. And one is a brand new game. Uh, the expansion is the latest expansion for Lost Ruins of Arnak, which was kind of interesting because I saw some people in my game group playing Lost Ruins last night. I hadn't seen the game come out for quite some, some time. Still a very popular game. I have it. I have the leaders uh, it, uh, expansion as well. Will not play it without the leaders expansion. I mean, the game is great without it. Uh, the leaders expansion just added something that you didn't know it was missing until it was there. And it's a tremendous game. So this one uh, basically is a smaller one where it gives you two new leaders and a solo and two-player campaign and more. So I'm on the fence with this for a couple of reasons. So two new leaders, okay, I could, I could easily go ahead and do that and just adds a little more uh, variability to the game. Solo, I can deal with, okay, not a problem. Uh, but campaign, do I need to do a campaign with Lost Ruins of Armac? I don't know that I need to, so I don't know that that's necessarily a hook for me. Now, my humorous brain thinks when this game came out in its core back in 20, was it 2020? And, uh, and Dune Imperium came out at the same time. And they were both worker placement slash deck building in varying degrees. In two different settings, two very much different games, but they had those two core mechanics driving the game. So there was a lot of comparisons. Dune Imperium, psh, Shot up, Lost Ruins of Arnak, shot up, got highly ranked on BGG. Then they both came out with their first expansion right about the same time. And then Dune Imperium towards the end of last year came out with uh, Immortality expansion. And so I'm looking at this expansion here and I'm thinking, and it's just the humorous part of me going, Lost Ruins of Arnak's going, oh, you think you can put out another expansion? Well, we'll go ahead and do the same thing. Kind of a little bit of, you can do this, I can do this type. I, I That's probably not what's happening, but I just get that, uh, humorous brain part that that functions in such a way I think along those lines so uh, I think this is going to sell well I think uh, you know with the leaders you know the leaders expansion everyone loved the uh, two new leaders with this expansion the missing expedition it's going to sell well the fact that it's solo or a two-player campaign is going to do well I think campaign is going to do well I'm not sure the campaign is going to sell it for me I'm going to kick the tires on this I'm not sure that I need another uh, expansion for Lost Ruins of Arnak, but I just might. So, but it's cool that uh, that game continues to get some new content for it and continues to be relevant, and that people are excited for that. So that is uh, a release that is coming up. I'm not sure when. I would imagine that might get crowdsourced as well. I don't think it's going direct to retail, but I'm not seeing anything here that's telling me that. But I didn't do my homework because I didn't do my homework in school. So why should I do my homework as an adult? Uh, so uh, we'll see how that gets uh, released or put out for crowdfunding. 
And the next game is going into a heavy game. So I just recently played a weather machine, Vitala Serta, came into Kickstarter. Love the game. Have a great time with the game. Absolutely love it. So now he is on his new game and playtesting that. So this one is called Inventions, Evolution of Ideas. And so you're going to follow the evolution of ideas and inventions through times to progress your society. And it's going through the most noteworthy innovations in humanity and how those technological developments you get placed in your hands and how you're going to evolve your societies. It's Vital Asserta. Uh, to me, it's a game that's going to tickle the deepest recesses of, of the uh, you know, cerebellum and the core stem here. Really get into some good brain activity. Very tactical game, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's not looking to do anything until 2024. Obviously, a lot of more playtesting. I think I saw a picture that he was at a uh, place and doing a prototype. So, you know, it's going to uh, take a little bit of time. They probably will launch a backing and Kickstarter for it at some point. Eagle Griffin Games is the uh, is going to be the publisher again for that they do a really solid job in producing uh, his games and again Ian O'Toole being the artist for that so that is the upcoming games that Frenchie has coming up and so uh, now let's take a quick little break so I can get a little more iced tea and I'm going to talk to you about the games that I've received uh, in the last few weeks Okay, friends and gamers, we're back, and Frenchie's going to go over uh, the games that he's received in the last couple of weeks, and uh, boy, have they flooded in. There is a point where I have a ton of boxes. I got all but one uh, that have been unboxed. I have another one I'll talk to you about. It'll be the last one here that, uh, my word, <laughs> there are waves that come in, you know, and I saw... You know, towards the end of, of the year, there typically tends to be games coming in to fulfill for the holiday season. Then there tends to be a little bit of a dry spell. Sometimes you have a game or two flit in or games that were the first ones to be released for 2023. And then I had a nice little pop right around middle of February. And that's been quite a, kind of quiet the last few weeks. Then we had some games start to really come in. So I want to go over uh, what I've received. And uh, I did do an unboxing video. So you'll see some of those. Some of you may already be aware if you saw that video. I'm going to go over and hold uh, these games here and tell you a little bit about what I got. So the first one on my list is, is one that was interesting because this package actually had been shipped and I didn't even know that it, uh, wasn't that, that it was available. It was in the parcel locker room and I didn't have a notification. Something got missed somewhere. Maybe it was me. You know, Maybe it was the courier or whatever like that. But... I picked it up with a couple of other boxes. When I opened it up on uh, the video, you could actually see the surprise. It was like, oh my word. Uh, this is one of my favorite games of all time. First game done by Orange Nebula, uh, who did Unsettled, which I absolutely love. Played it with my friend Chuck. We went through the entire campaign. And then I backed it uh, to go all in with the new expansion and obviously get the core game and all the original. Orange Nebula does great. But their first game, one of my favorite games of all time, and that's Vindication. Uh, Vindication is quite simply a game in which you are a wretched scumbag that you were here on this uh, foreign island and now what you're trying to do is you're trying to go through uh, the different hexes and explore the map getting pets and relics and different things to reclaim your your fame to vindicate yourself to redeem yourself really thematic game very high production quality so I got in the world box and the new expansions village and hamlets expansion I can't remember what the other expansion was so now you've got this big 
like infinity box, if I could use the inequity term, of uh, just content there that I know I'm going to be playing and can't wait to get into it. And I've actually been waiting uh, a little while to uh, get this in before I played Vindication, but it had been sitting around for a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I saw that. So I am pumped for this game. It, to me, is one of my favorite games of all time. And as I'm looking at slowly ranking my my collection of my top games and even games that aren't in my collection, I know the Vindication is going to rank very highly. So uh, I was pretty pumped to get that. A little bit of a surprise, but a very pleasant one for Frenchie. So the next game that I got, this Kickstarter game, and uh, it's a, a single world, a single word title. It's not what you think it is, because I'm doing a little bit of, uh, and it's a game that a lot of people were looking forward to, and that is a game called Beast. Now, Beast is a game in which your hunter is trying to track and take down ancient beasts threatening the settlements. Uh, it's published by Studio Midhall. It uses a deck of direction cards uh, to help you move over the different terrain, and then uh, going ahead and moving over location, tracking down beasts, and really takes on a uh, mythological style of uh, hunting for these animals that threaten the village and some of the tropes that you would be used to in a fantasy setting but changing them uh, and making them a little more exciting a little more robust so i'm excited to tear into that game to check it out uh, i don't think it backed at a very full or fervent level but for me i think it was for me it was a very exciting uh, game very anticipated game for me for the year and i'd probably rank it um, well, as high as, not quite as high as Vindication, not quite as high as the other game that I'm going to talk about next, but it's definitely, I would say, probably one of my top five anticipated games that I knew I was going to be seeing here in 2023. So Beast is now in Frenchie's possession. The next one is the one word board game title that everybody is talking about, and that is Earth. So Earth finally came to me. Or maybe I came to Earth finally. Who knows? Maybe that's a little more accurate. Maybe I need to come to Earth. Um, but anyway, it's a game that uh, uses some of the same um, card mechanics that you would see in Terraforming Mars and uh, in Arc Nova. And already a very popular game. It was played constantly at Dice Tower West. Uh, one of the most sought-after games and rated games and anticipated games for 2023. This is done by Inside Up Games. Uh, and already some of the things I've heard about Earth and it, it's, it's a little difficult for me. It's very easy for everybody, whether you're a content creator or a player gamer, to compare a game because, well, if I play this game, I'm going to compare it to this game. If I play such and such a train game, I'm going to compare it to other train games. If I play such and such an economic hero, I'm going to do this. If I'm going to play a party game, I'm going to, you know, and it's easy to do. I really think we should just kind of let games kind of set on their own merits. And when I hear that Earth with the card, the set collection and everything, the iconography, uh, totally does everything that Arc Nova does, but just better in shorter time frame. Or it basically takes away the need for me to play Arc Nova because I can get everything I need out of this in a shorter time frame. Or it does this better than Terraforming Mars. It drives me nuts. I understand the comparisons. But that doesn't take away the fact that Arc Nova is a fantastic game. It does not take away the fact that Terraforming Mars is a phenomenal game. Okay, Yes, maybe the gameplay length is a big thing. But hey, 
You know, if I'm going to play something for three hours, I'll play one game. I don't have to play three or four or five games. I'm not the person who needs all that variety. As long as I'm having fun, I could care less. And there's no slight on earth, but I or, or slight on anybody that, uh, that makes those comparisons because I know I've been subject to those as well. But I really try to look at every game in its context and say, what does this game do? And then does it do it well? Is it enjoyable? Is it replayable? Does it have a high production value? Is it quality? Is it good value for money? Blah, blah, blah. And when there's a comparison like that, that basically says, well, I'm going to shelf two other games because this does everything I need from that game and so much better. You know, that's not really it. Because what if I want to play that game and I want to play a more futuristic one? I don't want to play it on Earth. I want to play it on Mars. I want to play Terraforming Mars for crying out loud because I'm in the mood to, to explore Mars. I'm in the mood to do it with the 3D buildings and everything that I have. So it really is all subjective, to be honest with you, at the end of the day. Now, again, I'm not taking away from Earth. Earth is a phenomenal game. I cannot wait to get that to the table. Cannot wait to play it. Um, my gaming group were playing it last weekend. They were loving it quite a bit. I said, I know, I believe I'm supposed to be getting it in this week. And uh, I have it and can't wait to go ahead and play that. So uh, exciting game. It's definitely going to do well. I mean, it's just barely getting into people's hands. And it's already almost in the top thousand uh, board game geek. So uh, it's already hitting up there. So, you know, that's just going to ascend as, as 2023 uh, continues to progress here. So uh, Earth is here, and I'm wicked excited. By the way, wicked excited is a Boston or England term meaning good, so in case any of you need a translator. Okay, next game that I got, I, I dodged a bullet on this one. And I made allusion to this on social media and on my uh, unboxing channel. I got this game in, and when I had the, it's Legacy of You from Shem Phillips and Garfield Games. When I got this game in, got the box, and there was a fairly significant amount of, of, of the corner of the box that was water damaged, of the outside box. So, you know, me, when I see something like that, I'm taking pictures, because if there's damage in context, I want to have everything recorded, be able to reach out to the courier, be able to reach out to the publisher, etc., etc., to have that documented and have some kind of resolution. So I did that as I was picking it up, got it back to my home, started looking at it and opened it up. And I was totally amazed, totally amazed that the game was perfectly intact. Not one shred of water damage in it whatsoever. And the game was not even packaged up in bubble wrap. It was just the, the, the brown, not tissue paper, you know, but the brown paper they used for packing just kind of around the perimeter box. Uh, that was really not wet at all. So it just worked out really, really well. And then there was a loose pack of promo cards. So I really dodged a bullet on that. was really, really happy. I could have been very unfortunate. I know some gamers have stuff damaged. I've had games damaged in shipping as well for various reasons. It happens. Uh, but I was very, very fortunate. So this is a one-player-only game, Legacy of You, uh, by Shem Phillips, who's designed the uh, the West Kingdom games and the North Sea games and the South Tigris games for Garfield games and then also Raiders of Scythia and Hadrian's Wall. And so this game is a uh, one player only game of building canals, repelling barbarians and kind of emulating what you the Great has done in, uh, in that period of time there in kind of that medieval Z dynasty or Zia dynasty, excuse me. So I'm pumped to, uh, to get this to the table. The artwork here is a little different than you would see in some of the other Shem Phillip games as well. 
uh, because it's just done in a different uh, mode, but uh, really, really cool. And uh, looks like a very resettable uh, one-player game. So that's going to be something fun. Try that out, get that to the table, and try to rifle through that over the next few weeks. So another game that came in, similar to Vindication, where Vindication already had a game, and this was expansions as well as a big box to hold everything in. Uh, this game came in with very much the same thing. This is Moonrakers, and it's the Titan edition. So this ended up with three new expansions that came in for Moonrakers. Moonrakers is a game which is a deck building game, but you are trying to score prestige points by fulfilling contracts, and then you are negotiating with other players who can use your cards to help you fulfill the obligations for the contracts. And at the same time, you're building up your ships and getting different um, characters, pilots and crew members to go ahead and have different abilities because it's all card driven and sequence of playing everything and you're rolling hazard dice that might have a negative impact on you and then you, you know it's a negotiation game a little bit as well because players can opt to go ahead and help you out and then maybe uh, you know scale back on that and say you know what I'm not going to fulfill what I what I said so there's a little bit of hedging your bets but really trying to race to get to 10 points fun game my game group loves it they ask for it quite often. So this is three new additions or expansions and then a large box to go ahead and put all the content in. And uh, there seems to be a lot more room in there than, uh, than necessary. So uh, I know there's a lot of sleeves and I've yet to sleeve the cards, but I just think there, there's, it's leading room to go ahead and expand. I don't know if I want to continue to expand, uh, but I love Moonrakers quite a bit. I felt that this was going to provide some really neat uh, variety for the game and for my friends. So uh, this is now here. And again, it's Ivy Studios or Ivy Game Studios. High quality, great production. This did not change. Everything's great. Love everything I've seen so far. And it's just a great game. I mean, what can I say? It was one of my favorite games from 2020. Okay, three more games that are here. And these are games that have already been released that oops i think i'm off on one here i am off on one i just kind of lost one of the tabs here so these are games that have been released already and i bought them um in kind of used condition through noble knight games and they've done a very solid job these games came in as advertised very good condition all the pieces were there so the first game is ceylon ceylon the game came out about uh, four years ago maybe 2018 it's a game of going ahead and building tea plantations in response to coffee plantations when working out environmentally. And so it's a game that I've actually been hearing quite a bit about in the last few weeks from other players. And it's like, well, when there's a resurgence of a game and it's been being talked about a little bit, I should probably check it out. So I went, I'm going to see a really good deal, decided to go ahead and purchase it and uh, has come to, uh, to my house. And with that, I also bought another game that was recommended by a friend of mine. This is Steam Time. Steam Time is a game in which you are traveling, searching for crystals, and uh, using steam-powered airships, which is a fun, and it's not necessarily the, uh, the steampunk style it is, but a little cartoony and everything. But it's that turn of the uh, 19th century, and being able to go ahead and travel throughout time and see places like Stonehenge, Pyramid of, of Egypt, and traveling the past ages, searching for uh, crystals, and trying to stay ahead of, of the other players. So uh, that's a pretty cool game and seemed like a bunch of fun. And I was told it was quite a bit of fun. So I listened to my friends, believe it or not. 
So that came in, and then I had another game come in that I haven't played the sequel. I have Iberian Gage, which is a uh, railroad-style game, and this was part of the Iron Rails game. And so the second, uh, or series, so the second one that came that was there is Ride the Rails, and this is going across America, where Iberian Gage is going across the Iberian Peninsula. Uh, there's Irish Gage, which is another one. There's some maps for this as well. And so I just love railroad games. I'm not a big 18xx person, so I'll play games that are just shy of an 18xx. Uh, I think Age of Steam is the closest that I come to that, and I like that game quite a bit. In fact, just got all the expansion maps for that a few weeks ago. So Ride the Rails is now adding to my collection of train games that I do need to get in the table. I also just got the Maglev Metro expansion maps in. There's quite a bit of uh, rail activity coming in as well. Talk about Steam time, huh? Okay. So the last... I'm going to say it's game, but a game accessory that came in. I did this a little bit, um, not on a whim, because I thought about it because it was a pretty hefty purchase. And so it was a game found crowdsourcing for Archon Studios. And they have a number of different miniatures and terrain in uh, what they call their Dungeon and Lasers line, which is a 3D resin plastic terrain and miniatures. And so I got a whole bunch of stuff in. And so that big box came in and it's sitting in the middle uh, in between my dining room and my, and my living room. I walk around because the box is massive and it just showed up without any tracking. Actually showed up in really good shape as well. Massive box that was uh, shipped internationally. So I can imagine the shipping was, was massive for that. And I can't remember what I paid, but uh, it's here. And started digging through. And so there's some assembly with some of those things as well. Uh, I'm just getting into, again, some role-playing games a little bit more, but also with the miniature games such as Battletech and other games, I figured, you know, with a lot of the games that you have, you can start to mix and mash things. So if I did, I have some of the 3.5 Star Wars Saga books. When Wizards of the Coast did the Star Wars role-playing game, I had that. I actually played that a lot with my son and my stepkids back in the day. And we did that, and of course I have Imperial Assault and all the miniatures to go for it. I'm like, well, I could just use those miniatures in a role-playing game. Uh, a similar thing with uh, Lord of the Rings Journeys of Middle-earth from Fantasy Flight Games. Stay tuned for the next episode, or later on in the podcast, I'll be talking about Fantasy Flight Games. Hey, use those for, you know, if I want to do a Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, the One Ring RPG, or if I want to just put them in a fantasy setting, or if I wanted to take them and put them in a Frostgrave, which is a uh, miniatures game with spells and wizards, and then use some of the fantasy settings uh, and uh, fantasy um, 3D miniatures and everything for field battles that you would put on an RPG map. You could do that. It's a lot of interchangeability, so I'm thinking along those lines with it. Huge box, a lot of stuff. It's going to take me a while to get through. Some connectors can definitely paint it. And uh, again, these are all things that uh, going to need to carve out some time for. But I'm pretty happy that that came in. It was, again, it was a surprise, just like the Vindication. I really did not know that those boxes were coming, but they're here, they're intact, and they are awesome in every sense of the word. So that is uh, it for the games that I have received. And so uh, next you're gonna hear from me, I'm gonna talk a little bit about Fantasy Flight Games and give you a little my opinion about me as a gamer and how I'm feeling about that company. Okay, friends and gamers, I wanna take uh, a few minutes here to talk about a publisher that at one point was one of the juggernauts in the board game industry. 
and I still have an affinity for them, but that's fading pretty fast. And there's reasons for it. I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad reasons, but as a gamer, I feel that they're not on, uh, they're on the backside of their career, basically. And there was a point in time where Fantasy Flight Games in the early 2000s, they were formed in the late 1990s, uh, Christian Peterson, largely because due to, it was uh, uh, creating a game called Twilight Imperium that really saved the company. It was Fantasy Flight Publishing, I believe it was, and they were doing European comics and stuff like that. And uh, that wasn't doing so well, so he created this game, and then he's created other games as well, like the Game of Thrones board game and other games. And uh, just really built that company to a, a huge success where it was like one of the top two board game publishing companies. Uh, the quality was great. The gameplay was great. It was immersive. They did a lot of cool stuff. And they have some stuff that actually continues to live on, like the Lord of the Rings card game. The Arkham Horror Living card game. Marvel Champions has only been out for four years, uh, but does very, very well. So they have a lot of things that are, are out. They've, uh, they've done Cosmic Encounter in the past, published a couple of different versions of that. They have Descent. So they did Descent and they did Second Edition. Now they've done Legends in the Dark, which is kind of a third edition. Uh, Arkham Horror, they published the Battlestar Galactica game, which was that uh, Betrayer-style um, social deduction game set in the Battlestar Galactica universe. They've done a lot of things right over the years. Unfortunately, uh, Christian Peterson has sold the company and, and Asmodee is now a parent company and so Asmodee is going to run it as Asmodee does. And up till about a year, maybe a little over a year, I still had a lot of faith in Fantasy Flight even though I knew this transition was going. They had just released 4th edition back in uh, 2017, 20 years. Christian Peterson was uh, embarking leaving the company. But they had put out Key Forge. They had done some great, cool things as well. I'm like, I think we're going to be good for a little while. I think that has wound down. I think that this company is at a crossroads. Here's a couple of reasons why. So one of my favorite games that I said from the very beginning, I'm all in no matter what they put out, was a fantasy flight game. It was a living card game called Marvel Champions. Marvel Champions... Uh, was coming out with stuff regularly. Like every month there was a new hero pack, every quarter or so there was an expansion pack, box pack. Everything was going great, going great. And then COVID hit, which hit everybody. Just to be fair, hit everybody. And so there was delays in shipping and everything. But you're always, they were still developing content for that. There was still a queue line in which there was content coming through. And you knew that okay, great, you know, we've got this, we've got, you know, the Spider-Verse coming, and we've got these heroes and these heroes. And so you always knew that there was new stuff coming down. Uh, they have went into the X-Men with Mutant Genesis, and they've had Storm and Cyclops and Wolverine and all these iconic heroes. And they have just finished releasing Rogue and Gambit as the latest two hero packs. Now, I'm usually looking for it, and I'm not trying to be a cult of the future, but because I love the game so much, I'm like, great, I love it, I'm playing it. And now, what's coming up? What can I expect to have next? There's nothing on the website. Uh, I haven't checked other sources outside of Fantasy Flight Games. But on the website, they'll always make a, put something on their homepage, news. Hey, new expansion coming up for Marvel Champions or whatever that game is. 
or you'll look on their products page and you'll see what's in production, what's being shipped, what's what's getting ready to hit retail. There's always this cue. There is nothing for Marvel Champions. They've they've hit a I'm gonna say full stop, but there's nothing coming right now. I don't know that the game is not gonna to continue to be produced, and I don't want to read into this and I don't want to scare anybody and I don't want to start rumors. This is the first time since they published the game four years ago that there's no announcement of anything coming. That's concerning to me. It makes me start to question, well, what's going on here with this company? The other thing that is a little concerning is I'm starting to see a trend and, and, a, and a common denominator and everything. So new game that has been released. It's called Marvel Dagger. And this is a uh, board game on the Marvel IP that they have a license for. Now, I heard somebody say that this game was uh, basically one of their prior games just reskinned with Marvel, which they kind of did a little bit with, uh, what was it, um, Mutant, um, I can't remember. There was another Marvel game that they did, which was basically the same game they did, and they just repackaged it in a new IP. They did... Um, Star Wars deck building game. Well, deck building games are popular now with the Transformers deck building game, the G.I. Joe deck building game, and the Power Rangers deck building game, which comes all from Renegade Game Studios, and now Star Wars deck building game. The Star Wars is already an IP they have. So I know a lot of what Fantasy Flight has done successfully over the years as they got big and they were able to go ahead and get these IPs with security these IPs. But now I'm like, everything's an IP. There's very little original content coming out. Um, and... Other than their really two biggest games that they continue to sell well on a regular basis, which is Arkham Horror the Card Game and Lord of the Rings the Card Game, which they have rebooted with revised core sets and repackaged expansions and everything, which is great. Which, for me, as a Lord of the Rings living card game fan, I think it's fantastic because it's putting the game in a new audience and some of those games... Uh, they were printing that content, so it's very hard to find if you're not hitting the right game store. So it's great that those games are getting a reboot and a repolish and everything's working together very well. But I just feel like the creative magic that Fantasy Flight was known for, the ability to come up with new games, new mechanics, to bring something to the forefront, to have new worlds and new universes, to... Um, be innovative uh, has been lost to IPs and reskinning of things they've already done in some ways to just put other games out. I feel that they have lost a lot of their creative ability. That leads me to question what's the status of Fantasy Flight games and also question how much I really want to back anymore too. I mean, I'll still back Arkham Horror Card Game. I'll still do certain things. I'm on the fence now with uh, with Marvel Champions and I have been very adamant all along that I'm all in. I hope something's coming through sooner rather than later. I love Journeys of Middle-Earth, Lord of the Rings. have played that for a long, long time. A lot of good in, uh, content there. Uh, is there something coming up for that? I don't know. So, you know, they just did put a um, Act 2 for Descent Legends of the Dark. So there's some new content coming out for that. So that's great. That is their own IP. It's not a licensed IP. So that's good. Uh, but even that game has had some detractors as well. I know a lot of people that love it, but it was a lot of cardboard, thought it was overproduced, uh, but a lot of people love it. And it's just not a game that I got into. I have the second edition. I'm fine with that. So what I'm trying to say here, as far as Fantasy Flight Games is concerned, is I'm not so sure about the status of this company right now. Now, it's backed by Asmodee, 
I hope they're fi they're financially viable. I think they are. Again, I'm not here to spread rumors. I haven't checked. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But I'm looking at the trajectory, and the trajectory is I don't see anything that's really going to tickle me as a gamer coming out of their studios anytime soon. Uh, quality has still been very, very good. I think there may be a touch off the quality lately, but it's still very high compared to the average board game publisher. Uh, I still think they are a legendary publisher, will always will be, regardless of what happens. But they are definitely, to me, on that backside of a career where if you're a professional athlete, you hit a peak and a stride and, and you are it. And now they're on that point where, you know what, I think they're, I think they're gonna get forgotten here pretty soon. And it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Uh, I hope them well. I wish them well. I, I hope that they continue to put out content for some of my favorite games that I'm still adamant with. I got a bunch of uh, the Living Card games here. Love them. We'll continue to support them and continue to buy content, whether it's new or old content that I've missed. Uh, we'll still continue to play Journeys uh, in Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings game. So I really hope that we'll see some, uh, some content, some creativity coming out. But right now, I'm just going to be quite honest. I feel that this company is at a crossroads, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. So uh, that's just some quick thoughts to me on Fantasy Flight Games. And uh, from my perspective as a gamer, when I'm, when I'm thinking about that, how that impacts me, and I wish them well, and time will tell what happens with, uh, with this company and uh, what they produce for the board game community over the next few years. Okay, friends and gamers, Frenchie is going to go over games that I've played in the back half of March 2023. I'm going to try to go through these fairly quickly while still doing them some justice. Uh, there's some really solid games here. And uh, yeah, just want to give a little bit of, of my experience with them. And they're all games that I recommend. Uh, there's no dogs here on this pile. But, uh, and I'm just fortunate that way because sometimes you do play one that's uh, not very robust. But all these games here, I can definitely recommend very, very highly. And I think, uh, you know, they're ranked very high as well. Just happens to be the games I played. So let's start from the top. And actually, ironically, the most recent one I played. And this is from uh, Xavier Georges. And it is uh, Carnegie. Carnegie is an economic game based on the life of American businessman and philanthropist Andrew Carnegie. And you have these different employees, workers, that uh, will be on a uh, headquarters office board and you will build different offices or divisions, tiles by uh, purchasing them, placing on there. And those will allow your workers to do different things. And those actions are gonna be determined by a, an action board that's off to the side that's gonna be randomized. And players are going to pick in turn. One player will pick um, one of four actions and based on that that'll dictate where on the map because there'll be a map map of the continental united states of what region of the states that's going to pretty much impact the most and so players will take actions based on that based on where their workers are on the board and then they will either be deploying workers on the board to go on missions to create income uh, to go ahead and move some of those reasons tracks up a little bit to gain different resources uh, and also possibly go ahead and get some uh, do some philanthropy for in-game points up on a top scoring board as well. But there's also these sliding rules that fit into each player's board that you're going to be able to go ahead and slide out by paying resources and then putting discs on and then deploying those discs on the different cities. And you're going to be trying to connect the different cities to score points based on how you're connecting your business and your trade routes. 
it is a game that if you don't play regularly, uh, it'll take a couple of games to get back on there because there's some nuances of the game. The timing, making sure that your workers are always at the ready, standing up versus laying down and not ready. Balancing everything that's coming, balancing the income that's coming in, but you're tying up your worker out there. And so you're going to have to look at, well, what's the action board? Because, well, the West region is probably going to get activated twice. So let me go ahead and put the workers there. But how long will it be? Because someone might take another action that activates the South and the Northeast. So there's a lot of uh, trying to understand the game and how it plays out in order to be effective. But it does not take away for the fact that it is a really, really, really good game. My number one game last year, 2022. And as I complete some of the circuits of games that I haven't played, it's still going to be very healthily up there. It could still stay as my number one. But, you know, it's one of those games that I played a few times, loved it, shot right to the top, but I hadn't played it for about four and a half, five months. Oh, okay, do it again and just kind of get that muscle memory. So it's a game that rewards some repetitive play over a short period of time to understand it more and be able to get in. But that's what I like about the game is because there are some nuances to it that really create a very... Uh, effective gameplay when you can create a nice engine and be able to go ahead and understand the timing of everything between your workers, uh, putting the discs out, moving those moving those bars, and sending your workers out on the missions and timing that with the action board. So great, 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 great game. Can't recommend it enough. Not for everybody, but if you like an economic euro, worker placement, and resource management, it is definitely a game to consider. So next game I played, a game that I haven't heard too much about. And it's a shame because I quite enjoy it. Now, this is called Brazil Imperial. Brazil Imperial is uh, with the, you know, the growing of Brazil in uh, the 1800s and everything and trying to grow the empire. And so basically what you're doing here is you have a board in which you are going ahead and uh, deploying military units onto a, a map that you have. And the map is kind of, uh, there's a lot of different maps, which is great. The maps simulate a lot of different segments or regions in Brazil. And then there's even a Brazil map you could do, which kind of um, really shrinks it down smaller a bit. But basically, you're also trying to put out um, uh, city tiles on the map uh, and also other building tiles, to, and you can upgrade them as well to gain resources, and these resources will allow you to do different things on your board and allow you to do different things on the map and trying to go ahead and uh, take these painting uh, cards as well that allow you different effects during the three different eras of the game. It's a very colorful game. I would say this game is kind of a really compressed 4X game. There's the exploration part. Uh, you have the military where you can battle. It's not necessarily prevalent, but it can be very prevalent. Uh, there's the exploration, the exploitation that typically comes from that, managing your resources and then drafting these uh, painting cards that allow you to maybe go ahead and uh, reduce some resources or have different effects for each era. Gameplay's really, really quick. Uh, it's really easy to understand once you do that, uh, once you do it. It's well-produced. I think it deserves a lot more praise than what it's beginning. It was uh, done by Meeple BR. It's in the top thousand in Board Game Geek. And the fact that very few people talk about it to me, maybe it's just the theme. The theme doesn't resonate with everyone. And I totally get it. Games that have a historical civilization that might have some colonization theme to it or whatever. Um, 
which really really doesn't. It's more just about taking the leaders in Brazil and expanding the empire there and trying to uh, do that with the different Brazilian factions. Uh, so I, I think there might be a little bit of maybe mislabeling for the game, but it's a great game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've played it probably three or four times. Always, always like it. It's definitely been in the top 20 of my games for 2022 and just feel that it should take uh, a little bit of another notice. So uh, it's a great game. Yeah, if you like games like that, any game with civilization, exploration, uh, anything along that, anything with a historical context, it's colorful, it's well-produced. I think that many people will enjoy it if they just give it a little bit of a chance and really want to see uh, more people talk about it, even if it never ascends any higher than where it is in BoardGameGeek. I think it's a game that's deserving of recognition. So next game is one of the games from the Steffenfeld uh, City Collection. And it is a re-implementation of my favorite uh, Steffenfeld game, and that is Hamburg, Hamburg. And so this game took Bruges, which was my favorite game, and took it in a way where, first of all, it was uh, reproduced with some different things. So this game is five players out of the box versus Bruges is four players out of the box, but there's a five-player expansion. And it adds a few things, and you can play it just straight with, with what you have. So I won't talk about the other expansions, which I've played with, like the ship's expansion I like quite a bit. We're then the harbor, and they go in and out of the harbor. But basically, what Bruges was is a game in which you are drawing cards from two decks. And based on the cards, you can use them for resources, for workers, for gathering uh, money based on the dice roll corresponding to the color of the card. Uh, and then using those cards to maybe cancel off threats of the same color as a card, and using the cards to create buildings, and then using uh, those buildings to play the top part of the face-up part of the card, which is the person that gives you different abilities in the game, score points in a myriad of different ways. And so what Hamburg did is it actually tried to make it where it was a little more language independent, where it replaced a lot of the text with, uh, with symbols. And it had, instead of uh, really, you know, one deck with five different colors, it had some more cards, and there's five different decks of the five different colors. And, uh, and, and you have an addendum in which you have to look at the game, at the addendum to kind of get an idea of the iconography and everything. So it's a little clumsy in that respect. Uh, my friend Amy loves Bruges, played Hamburg, detested it. I know that Hamburg has come out with, as well as Amsterdam, it's come out with uh, more language-specific cards. I do have the cards for Amsterdam coming in. Uh, the ones for Hamburg are sold out currently. So that replaces or actually explains the text, uh, explains the icons, excuse me, explains the icons on the cards. So you're not relying on the addendum and cycling through and everything. Be that as it may, I still love Hamburg. I still love Bruges. From an aesthetic standpoint, I prefer Bruges because that older school Euro, it was my first game that I played at a convention. So there's a lot of sentimental uh, things going on with Bruges itself. I do like Hamburg. I do like some of the expansions with it. Uh, I will play either one very, very happily, and I like them for different reasons. Uh, I do not think that, you know, for me, one of the things with uh, with Bruges is that sometimes the cards felt like they ran out a little too soon. With Hamburg, there's more cards, but there's some restrictions again because you're slowing up the game due to the fact that you have to go ahead and reference the addendum. So there's a case for both of those being great. I think, you know, I will treat them as the same game for intents and purposes, but if I'm comparing the two, I like them for different reasons. And I think Hamburg is a great game. I think Hamburg, uh, you know, well-intentioned with the iconography that those games had from Queen Games and the Stefan Feld City Collection. 
I believe that they did a really good job of laying out the index. So once you play the game a few times, then it becomes clear. When you're playing it the first time, it's going to be going through. But it's the same thing can be said for a lot of games that have new icons or a lot of cards or even just different terminology. You're going to have that. Be a takeaway for some people as it is. That's fine. Not a problem. I totally understand that. But I like Hamburg quite a bit and think it's, one again, one of my top games of 2022. And um, yeah, just a game that I will continue to happily and play, even though I will always keep Rouge uh, for, for myself for sentimental reasons. Okay, next game here is a, another re-implementation of a game by, the, by a different publisher. So this is Sky Mines by Alexander Pfister. And this game is a re-implementation of the game Mombasa, which uh, was designed by him, which had some controversial theming based in uh, Africa and working conditions and colonization there. So uh, they took this game, both him and, and uh, Pegasus Spiel, and they redid the game in a space theme and took out all the questionable cultural elements. Uh, this game is a Fister game where there's some great worker placement. There's tracks. You have the corporation tracks on the side of the board. They can move up and you're doing this by gaining shares in them. And those shares, the higher you go, can have a multiplying effect based on how you're scoring up the track. Uh, you are taking these little uh, half circle uh, wooden things. I can't remember what they're called. You're going ahead and colonizing uh, either the moon or you're colonizing the different planets there, depending on which side of the board you're using. And then going ahead and collecting resources from that. And the game to me is a Fister game where if you like track scoring, if you like resource management, worker placement, you can put them all together in a nice package. Fister does it very, very well, unlike any other. Uh, I was great. I was glad to see that this game is a retheme of a game that uh, some people like and play, but I understand the problematic elements. Uh, I will not play Mombasa. I would rather play Sky Mines because I just don't believe in some of the, and again, based on what it was back then, but you know, I, I don't want to entertain playing that. I think Sky Mines definitely fits the bill for me here. And pretty excited to play it, taught it, and uh, people that have been taught it, they like the game. And it's a typical Fister game through and through and through. Now, with that, I'm going to shift to another Fister game that I played. Uh, and that's Boon Lake. And Boon Lake's been out about a year before um, that Sky Mines came out. And Boon Lake, again, just the same thing in this. Now, this is a kind of a... I would say Western style uh, game where you are uh, going ahead and putting your uh, your, your workers out uh, on these hex tiles and getting resources from that, putting the hex tiles out, and then you're building settlements and getting these ranchers out there and then maybe even putting cattle out there. And so you're lifting these things off your board and then you're scoring points and resources based on how much is coming off your board. You're also going to score based on the uh, area, an area control mechanism on the board based on the hexes. Uh, but you're also managing resources by you have two ships that are on your player board to allow you to go ahead back and forth to move up and down. And, and basically that's going to dictate how many resources you have. Those resources are going to uh, be the cards that you're drafting and selecting during the game. And then those cards are going to allow you to do different things. Some have end game scoring effects. Some will allow you to do different actions. Really, the two main mechanisms that drive the game around all that is an action board where you're going to go ahead and take an action, take that strip, put it down. You can take an action as the active player, and then everybody can take a, a secondary action on that as well as you can as well. And there's a couple of tiles that actually break that. And then based on that, 
where you take that tile that's also going to have a number on that row that's going to allow you to move you're going to have another ship that's on this river that goes all the way down through the board and so you're going to be able to go ahead and navigate that ship down through the board and uh, you'll get resources as you go through there once a once a boat goes all the way to the end of the first one then that triggers a mid-game scoring. Then what you're going to do is you're going to get all of the boats back up to the top, and you're going to flow down through the river one more time. And then we get to the bottom, and the other fork that carries you through a different section of the river towards the end is going to trigger in-game. Uh, this game sinks to me so much better than uh, than Sky Mines would because there's a lot going on. And maybe it's because I've played a little bit more, but there's something about the car-driven element of it and everything that just resonates just a little bit better. Where Sky Mines, I'm trying to move up, uh, move up my track because I can go ahead and get these tiles and select them and then draft cards that allow me these different resources. And I've got to move up these two tracks, the Helium track and then the other track that's on the player board, which allow me to get points. And it's great and I love it. But Boom Lake just fits together with everything that I love. I love the, the way to do the card play on that. You have some secondary things to do. The hexes, being able to place the settlement, being able to upgrade the settlement, being able to upgrade your ranchers and just do different things uh, is really, it's a really well put together game. And I would say one of my favorite Fister games of all time. So Boon Lake, uh, to me, just uh, continues to be my favorite and my go-to of the Fister family. Happy to play Sky Mines and other games, but uh, this is the top one for me. Okay. Uh, a couple of other games here real quick. So uh, the next game, and I'm going to try to pronounce it right because I always mispronounce this. It's called Oracalsum. And uh, it was published by Ketchup Games. Uh, designer, One of the designers is Bruno Catala. And it's a game where you are on an island and you're basically uh, trying to uh, be a champion of glory. And uh, they say it's a, it's similar of short 4X. I, I don't think so. But anyway, you have an island board in which you're going to be ahead and drafting cards and you're going to choose an exploration tile uh, and an action and so you're recruiting hoplites you're going ahead and producing or column which is this kind of crystal this metal uh, and then you're constructing buildings and then you're trying to get rid of monsters because you're going to have this map board and so you're going to be taking these tiles that you're drafting with the card and placing them on there and then uh, based on that you'll be bringing these creatures on and you're going to have to try to fight them at some point so you're trying to rid your board of the monsters you're trying to clear out the deck you're trying to score five points before your opponents do uh, there's titan cards that can go back and forth between the players as well which might remove a victory point from you and place it in somebody else's that's a nice tug of war cartoony in a way strategic the, that map that player board gives you this essence of map building and trying to place things just right and then being able to go ahead against the creatures at at its right time with the right size army with the right amount of resources, trading in the resources for some of the victory point tokens and medals, uh, using a Titan and then maybe having that Titan go away. So really a lot of timing mechanisms as to when you want to do it, how do you set it up, and then trying to get it so you can go ahead and score points faster than everyone else. It's fun. I played one game with it at the Dice Tower West Convention. It's it's quirky in a, in a way where, not quirky, where the gameplay is quirky, but just a... A little bit different take on gladiatorial battle uh, and exploring and doing some things. I wouldn't say it's a 4X game, even though that's what it says here on BGG. I would say, yeah, there's maybe some 4X allusions to it, but not your typical 4X game. So I wouldn't even put it in that class category. But it's mostly tile placement, drafting, 
uh, and then some dice rolling and just some really cool stuff. So that is Aura Column, a game I highly recommend just for the sheer fun factor of the game. That takes us to Endless Winter Paleo-American. Endless Winter, oh, just a good game. My goodness. I played it a couple times, enjoyed it. Played it again earlier this month. Loved it even more. Can't wait to play it again. I think this game is going to continue to creep up the charts for me. And as I look at redoing my top 20 for 2022, I think this game is going to get maybe a little higher. And I had it fairly good. I know it was in the top 10. Uh, that I did, but I think it's going to get up there a little bit more. Uh, and this is a game, quite simply, where, you know, you've got this action board. You're placing your worker there and taking the cascading actions that go with it. And then you have another board of hexes in which you're building out encampments and exploring and gaining area control. And really, these systems are all interwoven. They all blend together very, very well. The cards are all multi-use. And you have the cards in your hand, and you're kind of doing this drafting uh, mechanism. You're, you're taking cards, you're purchasing cards, you're putting them in your hand, you're, you're, you're dealing with other cards, you're putting them in burial, which might score you some points and do some things at the end of the game. So there's a lot of different levers in this game uh, that work really well. The action selection, the hand management, the burial of the cards, the area control of the map, the worker placement and figuring out which actions to take at what point. Uh, gathering the tiles, they kind of shaped like uh, stones or whatever at the top and cave paintings to put on your board. The, uh, the, the taking off of those different things on the board, workers to allow you to have more food and more resources to take more of your villages to put them on the exploration board, the map board to uncover more resources for you. A lot of fun elements that really go into the game. Uh, the game is really, really, really well produced. I think there's a lot of variability in it. It uh, doesn't hurt that the artist is the um, same artist that did some of the work for, I believe they looked like they did some of the work for um, the West Kingdom games, I believe, and uh, you know some of the Garfield games. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But it's a fantastic game. It plays really well. There's some cool expansions to go with it as well. I'm not sure how the cave painting expansion works. I think there's like a dry erase markers or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that adds to the game. I haven't played it. Maybe it does. But... It's a fun, 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 fun game. A game that I think you, you can teach somebody who's 10 years old and they're going to enjoy it. Uh, you know, it has some complexity to it as well. It says ages 12 and up. But I always think that, you know, any any kid that uh, is about two years younger that has played any type of games will enjoy it. But I think it's a easily a very accessible game. It's a fun game. A uh, game that is just really good. It's a nice gameplay experience and rewards you for playing well. And I think if a game is well done and you play it really well, it should reward you. And I think that game really resonates um, in all that respect. So Endless Winter, Paleo-Americans, uh, one of my favorite games uh, from last year and just continues to impress with every play. All right, and the last game I played that I'll talk about in March was Marrakesh. Marrakesh, again, City Collection. And on my next segment or next episode, depending on if you're listening or watching, will be on one more game from the City Collection because those were played quite a bit in the last month. But Marrakesh, uh, and I had mentioned it in, in one of the previous segments and episodes about the Essential Edition being released and currently a Kickstarter project. But Marrakesh is uh, just a great, great game where you have these cash easy cylinders. Every player has 12, one of each color. You're going to select three and you're going to place your workers on your player board 
in the different regions based on the color. And then one player is going to collect them all, drop them in a tower, and see what cascades out. Tower is designed to catch a few of the cashies. Not all, but a few, maybe one, maybe zero, maybe two, maybe three. And so you're going to have a randomization of what really comes out. And then players are going to draft based on turn order. can only draft up to two, the same color. Place those on their board. And then go ahead and take their actions based on the uh, where their worker is. But then those actions are going to have more impact and be more efficient because the more caches you have in a certain area, the more resources you do. Uh, the, the more you can go up the river, uh, the more dates you can, you can draw from, uh, the gates that you can put out, the uh, tracks, the, uh, the mosque and the palace track that you can go up, uh, activate different things in the plaza. And you're going to get points if you can fill up any of those sections as well. You're exploring oasis uh, and getting endgame scoring points based on those tiles. It's a lot of different things going on. Now, some people may not like the fact that the game has a lot of random elements of luck because of the Keshi drop. And that's fine. And I get it. But that's the appeal of the game. To me, the appeal of the game happens to be quite simply that I may be dropping three color Keshis in so I can do these things, but I'm not guaranteed I'm getting them. So if I don't have any Keshis on the board, particularly in early game state, I, have to, I can draft a Keshi instead of taking that action. But it kind of throttles me back a bit. So it's a little bit of a risk here. One of the last games I played, not the last, but I think maybe two before that, um, I was hoping for the pink plaza ones. Me and another player put him in. He drafted first. He took two of them. But that was my whole game. I would have won had I done that, but I knew I was taking a big risk. But it was one of those where I was willing to do that because I saw that opportunity unfold before me. So Marrakesh continues to be, for me, one of my favorite games from the City Collection so far. Uh, it's a very highly ranked game for me in 2022. Uh, it's going to be one of my favorite stuff and fill games. It's enjoyable. It's easy to teach. It's fun. Uh, it does provide some strategic decision making, a little bit of, of randomization. But again, you can mitigate it. You can do different things to go ahead and uh, go ahead and get what I wanted. But here's another way I can go ahead and score points. So you have a lot of avenues, as a fill game does, to score uh, through a point salad and say, okay, I can't do one, two, or three, but I'm definitely going to do six, seven, eight, and nine to get the points and maximize on those areas and those focuses. So Marrakesh continues to be a fun game, a uh, game that is just, I have not had anyone really say that it's a bad game at all. Some people may not like the randomness of the Keshi drop, but that's personal preference. But those people have also said it's a very, very good game and enjoy playing it. So that rounds out the games that Frenchie has played in the last half of March. And uh, tell me a little bit about what you played uh, throughout March as well. Drop some uh, things in the comments and I'll be coming back to you very shortly on my game of the week, which is Amsterdam. All right, friends and gamers, I wanna to talk to you about uh, what I wanna select as my game of the week, even though this comes out about every other week. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, in the last couple of segments or, or YouTube episodes you've seen, I've talked about Marrakesh. I've talked about uh, Hamburg, which are two of the games that came from Steffenfeld City Collection, which is a re-implementation, a repackaging, uh, and reimagining of some games that he has done over the years. Uh, one of the other popular games from that series is a game called Amsterdam, which was the re-implementation game called Macau, which I have never played. And what Amsterdam is, is basically you are uh, in the city of Amsterdam along the canal and the harbor and you have a lot of, dis lot of dis you have a lot of different districts 
in the city right there in the harbor. And so what you're doing is you are uh, having a rondelle in which you are rolling dice and you're drafting cubes from that based on um, you know what the dice roll is. Each die that comes up, you're going to have them in a different section. There's six different color dice, six different color cubes. You can roll the dice. Some of them might have one, some of them might have six or whatever number in between. And you're going to go ahead and draft those cubes. Uh, and then you're going to put those cubes in the corresponding section of the wheel. Your wheel that you have is going to be numbered one through six plus a seventh section in which when discs get turned uh, from one to that section, they're going to bear off. So every round, the cubes you place in section six will go to section five, section four. So there's going to be about six turns before those cubes are accessible to you. So you're balancing out what are the cubes that I need and need now versus getting cubes that I'm going to have and maybe having a continuous run of cubes so I always have something to do every turn. Uh, you're also going to select cards. Those cards can represent a district or building or some different workers there in the city. And you're going to, dra you're going to draft those cards as well. And you play those cards down below your player board. And then you're going to be able to use those cubes that you have available to you for your turn to go ahead and make those cards active and place them up above your board. You have a limited amount that you can have down on your lower board, but you can have an unlimited amount of cards up above. And then you can use cubes and actions on those and activate those cards during your turn to do different things. Move your boat up the canal, move your disc up the canal, or move your boat across the harbor with the different discs by using them for resources um, and different things. But a lot of the turn really centers on the map. So the map will allow you to go ahead and spend cubes to go ahead and claim a district based on the number of cubes and the color of cube. You're going to take a tile from that that's going to represent a good. You can put that tile in a black market section of the board, which the first nine is three of the nine unique tiles, so there's one each, can get filled up, which allow you to get gold or resources. Or you can put those uh, goods on your uh, storehouse and eventually put them on your barge to ship through the various areas on the map, on the upper part of the map, in the harbor there. And you'll get points based on uh, you know that and based on if, if somebody's delivered a good there before you or not. Um, and then you can also move your disc up the, uh, the canal, the river leading into the harbor. And then based on where your disc is, not only will you get points, but it'll also determine player order in the next round. And in your cards that you have, you can activate them by either spending a resource or you go ahead and put a windmill token on. And you can only do it once per turn. Some of the cards trigger at different eras as well with permanent effects, but allows you to maybe get additional resources or, or do a card with additional less resource or do different things or move up the uh, canal or the harbor or do things at a little more efficient rate. As you're building your districts, you are also trying to connect districts because you're going to score points based on the number of connected districts you have. You'll notice in each district, many of them are connected by bridges. Uh, all of them are connected by bridges in some way, uh, but some of them are connected by bridges across the across the canal. Uh, also, you have a marketplace in which typically you'll use that marketplace to draw tiles, usually spending coins typically. Um, there's expansion that adds more tiles. It might allow you to score points or take additional moves up the river or move your boat or do different things. There is a... Um, there is a dock workers in the harbor. So as you pick up the dock workers, you can also deliver them to different docks. So while you're trying to move your barge and deliver the goods for points, you can also get the dock workers to the proper color uh, dock 
and then you'll get gold for picking them up and you'll get points for dropping them off as well. And then you have this, uh, this scoring, not the scoring, but on the market board where you have the cards and you're turning those cards up every turn, new cards are coming up to be drafted. You are also, I have the market tile, but you also have this timer. There's about 12 turns there where you are going ahead and it's saying what turn order is. And if you're able to take your boats in the early turns and deliver goods very quickly and efficiently, you can get points from that. It gets sometimes very difficult to do. I've seen some people do it very quickly, but typically it takes a little bit of time. So if you're able to do it early, you're going to be more points. As that first half of the turn starts to wind down, it's going to be less points. Once it gets to the last six sections of the board, then you're going to have this dice manipulation because what happens if you're at turn seven, let's say, and you roll a six and you put the six out for, let's say, the orange cubes. Well, if you're on turn seven, you have that turn and then five more turns. So you may not be able to get those those six, um, you know, you have five more turns. So you're not able to really get those six off the board. They, they'll be dead. You know, if you're on turn 11 and you get six cubes, well, you're not going to have it. You only have one more turn. So that wheel is not going to turn six times to bear that. So what you're doing is each turn, those last six turns, you're taking the, or five turns, actually, more, more properly, you are taking the dice and any sixes are turned to ones. And then in the next round, six and the fives are turned to ones. So that way, no one's putting uh, cubes on their, uh, on their rondelle without them being able to be used. And so, but also what that means is that because you're drafting based on the number of the die, you're drafting less and less and less cubes. You're still drafting two colors, but you're drafting fewer and fewer and fewer cubes. And so it creates a really neat mechanism and timing. Um, you know, you're also able on your board to um, take one resource cube and house that and carry that over from turn to turn. So those resource cubes, because they can buy districts, they can move your harbor, uh, your barge in the harbor, they can move your disc up on the canal they're used as resources and also affecting doing things on your card but you can spend them but you can't bank them and really use them in a robust turn next turn unless you happen to be able to either the dice roll really helps you're able to plan it well and have a lot on your rondelle you're only able to keep one cube in your storage on your player board till the next turn so to me Amsterdam is a really well put together game. Now, again, I did not play Macau, so I don't have a reference point from that. I've got a couple of friends that have played it, told me about it. You know, without playing it, I really don't have a reference. So from this game, in context, as it is, without any comparison, this game to me is a great, great game. It, uh, it does everything that a Phil game does for me. I have these resources. There's different ways to use them. You have these cards that I can use that I can activate. If I don't activate them, uh, I could take penalty points at the end of the game too. So there's always a uh, opportunity cost that Phil brings into his games and some things that actually punish. If you don't do things, you can lose points or you can lose resources, which makes it very interesting and really makes you have to really think about the decisions you make as well. And I love the fact that you're able to go ahead and move the discs up the canal and do player order because not only you're incentivized by points, but if we found in a few games that if you don't really move that disc up and you're always behind on that track, you can be you can lose out because you're not getting the best cards uh, and different things, and you're not getting in the districts because you're always last in turn order. So that becomes a pretty essential play 
in the game. But I've seen people win on different ways. I've seen people win by dominating districts. I've seen people win by just zipping around the canal and doing all the different actions. I've seen people get the dock workers and score a lot of points through that. I've seen a lot of people do the different delivery of goods. Um, I've seen people hit the market tiles hard. That's what I did on my last game, and I did really, really well on that. There's a lot of different ways to approach the game and score different points and do really, really well. Phil games tend to do that. Uh, the game is colorful. Queen Games did a very good job in the production of the game as far as the color, the aesthetics. Um, apart from maybe some of the games like Weather Machine that, that they do, that's a probably their best quality game. Excuse me, I'm getting that mixed up with Eagle Griffin Games. Frenchie, what the heck are you talking about? Queen Games, my goodness. It's 9 o'clock at night, so uh, I'm getting tired. So let's reset that. So Queen Games, you know, they put together some really good games. This game is, is just as good as, as any of their other productions they do. But it's very colorful. And I like what the City Collection has done. They've taken these games, and while people can say the Euro games are beige, uh, there are some older Euro games. I had mentioned Bruges in a previous segment. Uh, I just love the aesthetics of Bruges so much better than I do Hamburg. But I love the primary color, the appeal and everything that Hamburg, Marrakesh, and even Amsterdam. I think of the three, this game visually, the game board and everything, pops for me better than the others. Looks great. I love the gameplay. To me, this is a sweet spot of Feldian design where you've got a lot of different things going on. There's this opportunity cost. There's a min-max decision you're going to have to make. There's trying to use your cards to the best of your ability and uh, combo them up and be able to have that uh, action that you can activate. And, and you can do it in a sequence where if I do this, then I can activate this card and this allows me to do this and gain more. So there's some really neat mechanisms built in. And the fact that it's a point salad because, again, fill games offer you many multiple paths to victory. It's a matter of finding out what's going to work for you, how to be efficient in that path or those paths to get those points and be able to do that. So the last game, I tried dominating districts. I tried going up the canal faster. I tried hitting the market tiles. Wasn't enough to win the game, but it was a very solid number two effort for me because I was able to do that. And unfortunately, my friend uh, who was playing, who didn't win, it, it, we believe he suffered because he didn't move that canal disc up. So maybe that's a little bit of a flaw in the game, or maybe it's a purposeful design. But that's an essential part that you have to understand in order to play the game well. But we all had a great time. We all enjoy it. High marks for Amsterdam. This, to me, when I look at the Phil games, uh, if I was going to rate the Phil games as is right now, this is going to be, I don't know, top four, maybe higher. I really don't know at this point. Uh, is it challenging Bruise? Is it challenging ca uh, Castles of Burgundy? I don't know. Um, I think I'm going to need to dust to settle and maybe revisit a couple of these games to see how it is. But it is definitely going to be, I think, probably poking at the top five when I redo my 2022 uh, and really having a strong showing there. Love it. Uh, it's the one that I think I'm having the most fun play, although I really do enjoy Marrakesh quite a bit and I have a blast playing that. I love Hamburg. Again, um, you know, there's... There's this Hamburg versus Bruges, which each one is just as good for me in different ways. Love the fact that it has, again, five players out of the box, and they've done some different things, and there's more cards to play. And uh, I just like that game. But I'm thinking Amsterdam from the games right now is probably inching to the number two, and maybe even number one uh, game that I've, uh, that I've liked of the City Collection so far. And there's two more yet to come out with Cusco and Vienna. But for the ones that are released, 
Amsterdam's challenging for number one. And I think that says a lot, to be quite honest with you. So uh, great game. Recommended very, very highly. I think you should check it out as well. I think there's a lot to like with this. I think all of, the, of all these games, this is the one I think most people will enjoy, although Marrakesh has got a really raving fan base right now. But Amsterdam for me is slowly winning out, and it's a very close dead heat with uh, three of the City Collection games, and uh, I'm liking this one more and more. So that's Frenchie's take on Amsterdam, and uh, hope, uh, hope this was a good recap and review and uh, talk through about this game. If you haven't played it, check it out, and I'm very, very confident that you'll enjoy it. All right, friends and gamers, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, minute 40 recording, but once I edit, I know I'm going to hack out quite a bit of uh, time there and everything. But again, this will be all on the podcast, as you've heard, and I'll split this up on various video segments. And uh, it is a little after 9 o'clock, and Frenchie's tired. Now I've got to go ahead and start getting some of this production prepped and uh, get ready for my work week. But that is it from me for this week. And uh, hope April looks to be a good month for you all. Play some games, have some fun, take care of yourselves, and don't forget, as always, play nice. We'll see you later.